Welcome, welcome everyone. Hello. Friends, this is... Hello, hello, hello. This is the Manufacturers Club. Not Manufacturers Club, Manufacturers Club. Let's introduce ourselves, starting with Zaheen. Hey everyone, my name is Zaheen. A little bit about myself is I work in tech and product development and I don't know anything about comic books, but I am here to learn. And let's talk to our other friend, member of the club, Carl. Hello, everybody. This is Carl. I am an IT project manager and also, like Zaheen, fellow nerd, fan of the comic books and the video games, and here to join the fun. And I'll introduce myself. I'm Sean. I'll be your guided meditation host for the Manufacturers Club. Oh, and I should tell you why I'm here. I am also a project management business analyst going back many, many years. So, you know, I bring that to the table along with my lifelong obsession with comic books going back to the 70s. So deep in the lore. And that brings us to what is the Manufacturers Club and why is it so unusual? Well, the Manufacturers Club is a new way to approach the discussion about comic books, video games, genre fiction in general, specifically the technology in those different genres of fiction. Because when you read comic books, you go see a comic book movie, you play a video game, there's different kinds of technology in there, whether it's hardware, software, but you may have always thought, oh, those things are really cool. But maybe you also had a thought, well, why did they build that? How did they decide to build that? What was the way that they did go about building that? And if you've ever asked those questions of yourselves, well, welcome to the club, because so have we. And we thought it would be fun to bring our individual perspectives and expertise to the table. Zaheen, as someone who is a an avid video game player, I think is fair to say. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And Carl, as both a comic book nerd and also avid video game player? I would say spare time. Not as professional as Zaheen. <laughs> well, I am pro. It's, so it, catch, catch me on Twitch. <laughs> it's not a competition, Carl. Okay, I, I'll calm down. I'll calm down. <laughs> and, and, you know, me as a lover of comic books, as I mentioned, but all of us having some professional expertise in software development, technology development. And that's why we're here. We're going to cover... You know, things from the stakeholders on projects through the elicitation and definition of requirements for those projects and the technologies involved, all the way through how would you build it, how would you get to the minimal viable product, the MVP, all the way through the deployment. And, you know, for those of you who are looking to become subscribers, our Patreon link is in the description of this episode, as well as all of the others. And as a bonus episode, we'll discuss what if, without the ellipsis, so that there's no copyright concern, of course, you know, because we don't want the Marvel people breathing down our necks. Please unless, don't. Unless you yeah, want to you know, talk turkey. So we're going to go through that entire life cycle of technology, starting with here in season one, really where the mainstream, I would say, comic book obsession that has gripped the world and led to billions of dollars of tickets being purchased around the world, Iron Man. We're going to start with Iron Man because it's a really easily grasped example of technology in comic books. Some future seasons, 
We'll get into some things that are maybe a little bit less obviously technological. Certainly within the video games, I think it'll be all very hardcore technology. But we thought starting with Iron Man made the most sense because, again, it's easily grasped. It's where the Marvel Cinematic Universe began. And we have a very nice story that we can tell about who's involved. So when I say who's involved, what's the first word that comes to mind? One, two, three, stakeholders. Yay. <laughs> you can tell who was not a track star. <laughs> she's a runner. She's a track star. Yep. I think that's a t-shirt. She's a runner. She's a track star. I think that might be a, we'll, we'll talk. And we'll, we'll be putting the logo for those of you on video, the logos here. That'll be part of the, the show or part of the shirt and part of the show. Both actually. Yes. Yeah, it was Freudian, but it still worked. It still worked. Um, so we're going to talk about stakeholders here in episode one. Why do we want to talk about stakeholders? Carl, what do you think? Are stakeholders important to understand? So they're important. question. Very true. I appreciate that. Yeah, And he's doing the miming, pulling, roping them in. That's how I do it. Yes, they are. They're very important just because, you know, simple thing is this project, any project is for somebody, right? Period. And so if you don't know whom you're building it for and why, then you're almost guaranteed to fail, period. So like, yes, without question, stakeholders are important. Zaheen, I saw a lot of nodding during Carl's soliloquy. Yeah, I got to say, I really agree with everything that Carl put down there. You know, stakeholders are your sort of driving force behind a project. Why are we doing this in the first place? Well, our stakeholders want us to, and they have good ideas, and we want to, you know, make them come to fruition. Yeah, I cannot find a word to quibble with that either of you said. And, you know, that speaks as much to our hive mind as it does to our shared experience as project managers and business analysts. Yes, stakeholders are the core of your project, whether it's, you know, a project sponsor or, you know, some end user of the technology or someone who's going to be benefiting from the output of that technology. You have to know your stakeholders. I just want to add very briefly that Mm -hmm. we also want to focus on the stakeholders because they bring different perspectives that you have to account for. That's a good point. And the you know, part of the art, science, Both. blend of project management and business analysis is knowing how to jockey amongst those competing yeah. perspectives. Yep, uh, definitely. In, and even if they're not competing, just understanding them so that you're making sure that the project is going in the right direction and you're delivering the right solution. Mm-hmm. So with that said, we've established now why stakeholders are important, but let's talk about what a stakeholder is. To me, a stakeholder is not just someone who's going to use the technology necessarily. Mm -hmm. It's anyone who's going to be participating in the life cycle of that technology. Now, that sounds very imprecise. So let me give it a little more definition. Okay, because I I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, yeah. And that's Carl keeping me honest, and I respect (laughs) that. That's why he's on my right, keeping me honest. So anyway, someone who's participating in the life cycle of technology, that could be someone who's getting a report out of the technology. So someone who's reading a newspaper article that has a Tableau dashboard output in it, 
that's a stakeholder in my opinion. Okay. That's someone you have to think about when you're developing the technology. It could also be someone who's the manager of a process who's not going to touch the technology, but is certainly a stakeholder in the sense that that technology has to support their process and make sure that their people are getting things done correctly. So it's not always as simple as just someone who's using the technology, but there are a lot of other people around the technology mm -hmm. that have to be accounted for. So how did I do? What do you guys think? So I think you got it right there. I think simply put, a stakeholder is someone who cares about the technology in one way, shape, or form. Either they get output from it, either they're going to be the end user of that technology, or they are just invested in the process. And I agree with Zaheen completely about that. My question for you is, how far are you going with Lifecycle? Right, because because we're all because you know we're all video game comic book nerds, so we also appreciate foreshadowing. Exactly, right. Ooh. So we can all think in multiple timelines and universes and slippery slopes. So you know, there's decision paralysis, right, where you end up thinking about so many possibilities, you get nowhere. So when you say life cycle, because I agree with Zaheen completely, like anyone who's affected, you know, good or bad by it, I completely agree with that. And you said the same. How far are you thinking with life cycle? Well, right, like what is that? And just so the listeners understand, I did not pay Carl for that question, nor did I prompt him in any way. But he asked a very incisive question, which is really germane to the entire season and the entire enterprise that is the Manufacturers Club. What is the life cycle of a technology? Is it just the you know, initial development to the deployment of the technology to the end user? I would say no. I would say the life cycle, much like our own human life cycle, is birth to death. Okay. Meaning, from the very beginning of the idea of the technology, so before you get into designing it, before you get into even defining your requirements, saying, here's something that I want. And before I can even begin to know what that is, how I'm going to do it, what form it's going to take, I have to have some idea of what that thing is going to be. All the way through to... That technology either is destroyed or it in some way no longer is used by anyone. Okay. So if you want to like really put that into real world terms, the wheel is a technology that is still very much in its life cycle mm -hmm. and you know, will be for the foreseeable future well beyond our lifetimes. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, something like the quill pen is no longer in its life cycle. Except maybe for hobbyists? Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I wouldn't say it's dead yet. I wouldn't turn so, down a quill pen if someone gave it to me. They're very pretty. <laughs> That's right, true. And, and if I offended any quill pen aficionados out there, that was not my intention, and I apologize. Are Please you leave saying, a comment and let us say, know. I was going to say, do you want the quill pen aficionados to opine on this show? <laughs> I want everyone to opine on that. And if I have to step on a few toes to get people to sign up to be part of that conversation, I'll be the bad guy. I'm, oh I'm, I'm willing to shoulder that burden. He's going rogue. He's going rogue. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you don't know this, but uh, the Bic logo has just appeared on his T-shirt. <laughs> that was a little video moment we just had. Yeah, it was, we did. It was exciting. That was nice. All right. But I think that you guys understand what I mean, though, by life cycle. Yes, yes. You know, there are some technologies that are meant to be the Palm Pilot. No one uses the Palm Pilot anymore. I don't even know what you're talking about. Or, hey, let's use a comic- Kidding or serious? Hmm? Kidding or serious about the Palm Pilot example? Oh, I'm serious. Oh, okay. I'm very serious, okay, actually. Gotcha. I, I have no clue what you're- I got are you. you talking, is that a PDA? Is that- It's not a public display of affection if that's what you're <laughs> intoning. 
young lady. D. D. What's the personal? Digital assistant. Ah. That's what you were going for. <laughs> yeah. I know. But I see what you did there. I see what you did. <laughs> yeah. The Palm Pilot was like the, so it came after the Newton, which was yeah, Apple's exactly. original handheld device mm-hmm. from like the late 80s. But then there was the Palm Pilot that sort of, I'd say like put the idea of a PDA in the mainstream. Yes, it did. Yeah. 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 You know, okay. and they, but it was, it came before the original iPod. Mm hmm. Which preceded the Zune. I wanted to bring in the Zune as another technology yep. that's no longer used. That's true. That's I true. think that one I know. That one I know. <laughs> yeah. So I'm glad you brought that in because I feel involved now. So thank you. <laughs> and that's just a brief timeline of handheld technology. Yep. We're going to have a whole <laughs> other season. Well, we'll talk about that. I see what you're doing. Stay tuned, everybody, for the timeline and history of handheld technology, <laughs> which the wheel could qualify for some hand-holding uses. If you want to use the pizza cutter as an example of a yes, wheel. Yes, that's true. I'm sure people have held wheels in their hands as well. So, you know, car wheels, truck wheel. Well, maybe not truck wheels. Those are huge. <laughs> what, what, what about well, hot wheels? Well, hot wheels, yes. Because oh, yeah. they can fit in the palm yeah. of your hand. Yes, very true. <laughs> maybe that's the Palm Pilot. That could be it right there. Yep. That's one of the things you're going to get in each episode and each season of the Manufacturers <laughs> Club is we're going to have discursions, and that's part of the joy. Yeah. But let's get back to the idea of stakeholders. We've defined a stakeholder as someone who's affected by the technology, has an interest in it, has an investment in it. And one of the themes that I think I've learned over my years in project management and business analysis is sometimes you have to think about the stakeholders who don't even exist yet, Mm -hmm. in the sense that there are people who are going to be using your technology that aren't even involved in your project or aren't in the sort of realm of use of the technology as yet. For example, if you're working at a company and you're developing a new process and you're developing new technology, software technology to support that process, there are people that don't work for your company yet. You know, there's a limit to how much you can future-proof something, but you have to try to think of, you know, is, is this something we're developing just for the people who are using it now? Or is this really something we have to keep in a broader context than just the people who are going to receive this technology in six months when we're done with it? So question for you then, right? So still on the stakeholder front then, I'm interested in what both of you think in terms of, so are you prioritizing the present and the future state stakeholders all the same? Or are no. you giving them different no. weights? Definitely okay. not. So De- which way, so like, which weight are you giving more to? Definitely the present, because those are the people who are going to give you the more sort of specifics on what they want. So you can actually build for them better. Mm-hmm. Future state, I think, you know, you think about it and you try and future proof as much as you can. But with any sort of technology, things will evolve over time anyway. So as long as you give yourself the room to be adaptive and be able to actually change what you're doing, I think you're setting yourself on the right path to future proof. So yeah, definitely, definitely prioritizing present stakeholders. And this is not a political turn, but for those of you who recall the Donald Rumsfeld all-time quote of you have your known unknowns and Mm -hmm. your unknown unknowns, Mm -hmm. I think those future stakeholders are your unknown unknowns because You don't know if they're going to be arriving in six months, a year, 10 years. You know, it depends on what the technology is. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, whoever first developed the wheel 
could have no concept that that wheel was going to be used to allow a vehicle to traverse the moon, the surface of the moon. So there's only so much you can do. So yes, Mm -hmm. agree that very heavy weight on current users. Gotcha. But, you know, like Zine said, future-proof to the extent possible. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's less, sometimes it's more. Yep. All right. So with that sort of academic exercise of the stakeholder concept out of the way, let's take a brief break, catch our breath. Okay. For those of you at home, you may want to get a drink of water. This has been a lot. But let's take a quick break. And when we come back, let's talk about our specific stakeholder for Iron Man, Tony Stark. Hey, Manufacturers. Do you like what you're hearing? Want to join the Manufacturers Club and go deeper into the development life cycle of the Iron Man armor? Maybe you want to tell us why Wang Chu is a stakeholder or even add some requirements to the MVP. Join us in the Manufacturers Club on Patreon to get access to our videos, our discussion group, even bonus episodes and behind the scenes content you won't find anywhere else. Follow us on social media too for news and updates about upcoming seasons. All links are in the description for this episode. I'll catch you around the digital campfire and welcome to the Manufacturers Club. And we're back. Well, that was it was a good break. I hope everyone's rested. I hope you had a chance to rehydrate. You know, if you felt that you perspired too much, maybe you had a change of clothes. But now let's get into it. Tony Stark. There's a lot you can say about Tony Stark. You can call him genius, billionaire, philanthropist, playboy, which is what he called himself in the first Avengers movie in 2012. Yep. But that feels, you know, in addition to being you know, hashtag humble brag at that moment and throwing some shade on Steve. Yes, he did. In the Avengers. Steve deserved it. It's also a little bit reductive, isn't it? I mean, Tony Stark, while he is those things, both in the comic book version as well as in the movie version, there's a core to Tony Stark, which is a very common core in a lot of what we would think of as our canonical mainstream comic book heroes, such as Batman, such as Spider-Man, such as Superman, even Wonder Woman to an extent, which this will make sense in a moment, Mm -hmm. um, is that there's a loss of parental figure early in Tony's life. In the comics, it's not really clear, at least in the early comics, when Tony's father passes away. But by the time we are introduced to Tony Stark in the comics, he's already in control of Stark Industries. Mm-hmm. He is the CEO. He's the guy you know, driving everything. But it was founded by his father, Howard. And you know that Howard's been killed somehow. And that's, you know, brought into much greater relief in the movies, not necessarily just in the first movie, but in later Marvel movies where we actually see mm-hmm. Howard and his wife get killed. But again, while Tony is genius, billionaire, philanthropist, playboy, he's also a guy who lost his dad that he really admired and really looked up to. And that's sort of the driving force behind Tony trying to prove himself both, again, in the comic book and in the movie version, is how do I live up to that example of my father? Mm -hmm. How do I show the world that I'm the worthy inheritor of his legacy? And I bring that up in the context of our stakeholder conversation because understanding your stakeholders is really important. So just seeing someone as an end user of a technology will get you so far, you know, that's important. You have to understand the context in which they're working. Mm -hmm. But if you're able to also 
look a little bit further and dig a little bit deeper and try to understand not only the person putting their hands on the keyboard and using your application, but also who are they? You know, why are they using this? Not just, you know, what are they trying to accomplish, but deeper down, who are those people? Why are they doing the things that they do? That won't necessarily always come out in your development, but I think it's important not only for your purposes as a potential project manager or business analyst, but also if you're going to be doing any kind of training, because you can be a much more effective trainer if you understand how the people are receiving information, are they visual, Mm -hmm. you know, those kinds of things. So again, understanding the stakeholder is key. So let's dig a little bit further into Tony. Yep. Lost his dad, lost his mom. He is trying to prove himself. So he has a question. I I do. Yeah. I, I do have a question. Yeah. How old was he when he lost his parents? That, again, I did not prompt her for this question. She brought that to the table by herself. It's a really interesting question because it's not clear to me in the comic book version when exactly, although those of you who are deeper in the Iron Man lore and our subscribers can inform us on our Patreon channel. But in the movies, it's senior year of high school, I think, that he was home for winter break from boarding school and... His parents go off to drive down to D.C. and they get killed by the Winter Soldier. Yeah, because that was in Civil War. But I forget if that was either senior year in high school before he went to MIT or at some point during his time at MIT. But somewhere around there, that's when his parents, in the movie, yes, right? Somewhere in like late adolescence towards adulthood in the cinematic universe, that's when he lost both his parents. And I will tell you, as someone who lived through the 80s and saw Less Than Zero in the theaters, I would say that that de-aged version of Robert Downey Jr. was about 18, 19 in Civil War. So there we go then. Okay, so we have some anecdotal evidence, which is just good. Those are some really formative years in which he loses his parents. Yeah. And also not really knowing what happened because the way it's presented in the movies... It's a car accident, but you know he just thinks it's a car accident and it's tragic. We find out later because you know it's comic books, it's drama, it's got to be some extra spice there. We find out that it's actually Steve's good buddy from his formative days in Brooklyn who has become the Winter Soldier and has been given a version of the Super Soldier Serum that Steve took to become Captain America, yep. who is then turned into the bad guy. This Winter Soldier was turned into the bad guy by Hydra, mm-hmm. and he's actually the one that kills Tony's parents, which leads us to that gripping denouement in Civil War where you know, Steve says, Tony, he's my friend, and Tony says, so was I. And then it's like the reverse Triforce. <laughs> there were no winners in that. No, battle. no. no. Doesn't seem good. Um, Seems no, bad. Seems was, real bad. It was bad. It was bad. <laughs> Yeah, so one of the things we're going to do on our Patreon channel is we're going to do movie nights where for Zaheen's benefit as uh, someone <laughs> someone coming from the outside looking in on the Marvel experience, we're going to introduce her to all of these Shakespearean themes that they can explore. Yeah, I'm excited to spend many, many hours getting very familiar with all of these yeah, movies. It's a, it's a deep bench. <laughs> it's a deep bench. It's a deep bench. Yes. Um, and so, you know, that's going to be some bonus content that you can follow along with. And, you know, if you've ever watched an episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000, very very much in that vein, though no robot puppets. Yeah. I, well, let's not make we, any promises, <laughs> right? Let's <laughs> not, you know. Early days here, you know, we can't say if definitively. Anyway, back to Tony for a second, because we do have other stakeholders we're going to talk about. But back to Tony for a second. 
I think the other really interesting thing about Tony as a stakeholder is he is not only the end user of this technology, the Iron Man armor, he's the developer. And that's mm -hmm. very different from your common technology projects where you've got a developer who does all of the building of the technology, the coding of the technology, if it's software, you know, doing all the wiring, if it's hardware, et cetera, et cetera. So you've got a very separate set of stakeholders who are doing that work mm -hmm. from the people that are actually going to be using the technology. But Tony is both. He is the person developing the technology, building the Iron Man armor, mm -hmm. developing the software that's going to run it, at least in the movie version, because mm -hmm. our ideas of software in 1963 were not as robustly developed, believe it or not. So no, there's no laptop featured in the Tales of Suspense number 39, which this surprised me when I looked at it. 12 cents. 12 cents to buy that seminal wow. piece of fiction in 1963. Really? What a bargain. Well, how much is 12 cents with inflation? Uh, probably $10,000. Yeah, mean. that's, that's, that's so, so you know what? Maybe let's, let's not say it was a bargain because... <laughs> might have been an, just an upper class thing. Well, yeah, I sure, as, sure. as a, you know, middle class kid buying comic books that way, they were always very aspirational for me mm -hmm. on multiple levels, not only, you know, the superhero level, but the I have enough money to buy a comic book. Yeah. Check me out. Yeah. <laughs> Ladies. <laughs> fellas. Hot stuff right there. <laughs> comic book coming through. Watch out. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and and also I can tell you, you know, in terms of the teenage social dynamic in which I was buying those comic books, comic book nerds were highly coveted. You know, when you saw a guy walk out of the comic book store, you said, "There's a guy who's going places. He's got things figured out. <laughs> he's put together. He's well dressed. His hair is, you know, it's like the Warren Zevon song, Werewolves of London. Yes, I saw a werewolf at Trader Vic's. Yeah. his hair was perfect. <laughs> That's comic book nerds of the werewolves. That's it. It's like, oh, he operates on a schedule. He knows they come out on Wednesdays. By, by the way, that's, that's good. That, that, we just created a t-shirt. Did we? Do Co comic book nerds are werewolves. I do have to ask, did they have the great hair too? Well, that's what I just said. Comic book nerds, impeccable. Every perfect, aspect of their perfect. presentation. Fitness, hair, clothing. Social um, you know, cues? If, if, if you've ever seen... <laughs> <laughs> you let it trail off. <laughs> if, if you've seen Saturday Night Fever, Danny was a comic book nerd. Oh, very, really? very, very little understood, but really? uh, clearly a comic book nerd. Well. <laughs> That's why social skills were amazing. <laughs> The two obviously just correlated. Of course, of course. So it's a one-to-one. -one. <laughs> you know, I, I can't say this definitively, but I'm pretty sure the guys that wrote Saturday Night Fever were actually in the room at my household when my dad touched my hair. And I said, my hair, you're always touching yeah. it. <laughs> my accent was very different when I was younger. Um, <laughs> so anyway, Tony, developer, user. Yeah. But... Not the only stakeholder. No. Stick that in the file on the back of your head for a moment. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the other stakeholders of the Iron Man Army, because I'm telling you, it's not just Tony. Hold that thought. Manufacturers Club. For a limited time only, get your choice of a free, very stylish, Manufacturers Club logoed t-shirt or tote bag. Tell us your size, because we don't know. Limited time only. Free with a subscription to our Patreon channel. Subscribe to the Manufacturers Club. It's delicious. 
And we're back with that anticipatory breath in. Okay, that tells you that the, the break is over. Um, at least that's how I was always taught growing up. Anyway, other stakeholders. Let's start with Yinsen, mm-hmm. who in the comics is, you know, and, and Fortune has always smiled upon Tony Stark being born into a wealthy industrialist family. But, you know, God wasn't content with just making Tony the scion of a billionaire and a billionaire himself and a playboy and a philanthropist and a genius. No, he also delivered a Nobel Prize winning physicist to Tony. And we'll talk more about the situations that give rise to the Iron Man armor in episode two. But one of the people that you encounter in Tales of Suspense number 39, 12 cents no longer, is Ho Yinsen who is the manservant of Wang Chu. Wang Chu, of course, as we all remember, is the Vietnamese warlord who captures Tony after Tony is injured in the jungles of Vietnam. That's right, in 1963. It wasn't Afghanistan, it was Vietnam, because you know we like to put our industrialists in harm's way in battlegrounds where... It's arguable we probably shouldn't even have been there as the U.S. military. But again, this isn't a political show. That's a a whole other thing. But Wang Chu is the guy who, again, just so happens because when you're a Vietnamese warlord, there are things that are given to you or made available to you that aren't to the the normal peasant. Like billionaire philanthropist playboys, right? Well, genius. Thank you. I did forget. forget. And Nobel Prize winning physicists like Ho Yin Sen who also, and again, does it get better for Tony? This is one of Tony's highly regarded academic examples. Oh, that's so sweet. So Tony gets injured, captured, but you know, here's the golden parachute for Tony. Here's not only another guy that's, you know, pretty intellectually impressive as a Nobel Prize winning physicist, but just happens to be a guy you really look up to. So Ho Yin Sen. Is it someone, and again, we'll get into this in more detail in episode two, who helps Tony develop Mark One, as we would refer to it in comic book lore, the first version of the Iron Man armor. But I would argue Ho Yin-Sen is a stakeholder because he thinks he's going to escape with Tony. Now, spoiler alert, take off those headphones if you don't want to hear this till episode two. Beat. <laughs> Ho Yun-sen does not escape with Tony. He winds up giving up his life to allow Tony to escape. But up until that point, Ho Yun-sen is on board with, I'm going to help this guy get out of here because I'm going to be standing behind him while he's absorbing those bullets in that Iron Man armor Mm -hmm. so that I don't get killed and we're going to escape together and we're going to go off and take physics to a whole new level. I'm going to get that second Nobel Prize. I'm going to be reunited with my family. I'm probably going to enjoy a cheeseburger like Tony did when he got out of Afghanistan in the movie. Yep, That sounds so good. Yeah, I went meta. I did. And get used to it, because it's going to happen again. (laughs) Um, But I would say he's definitely a stakeholder, because he thinks he's going to get out of there by helping to develop the Iron Man armor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he cares. He's invested, to go back to Zaheen's characterization of a stakeholder earlier. He's someone who's invested in that technology. And you got to think... In the context of that situation, Ho Yin Sen has helped develop the magnet that's keeping the shrapnel out of Tony's heart. Yep. But in the back of his mind, isn't Ho Yin Sen thinking, oh, this Stark guy dies. I've got this Iron Man armor. I'll get out of here one way or the other. 
you know, well, I'm going to help the guy. Seems like a good kid. I'll help him out. But at the end of the day, when he lives, he dies. As long as I get that Iron Man armor either in front of me or on top of me, I'm golden. Listen, there's, there's got to be an you... element of self-preservation there. Let's be realistic. And that is yeah. one of the requirements we will talk about in episode yeah. three. <laughs> yes, so yes, yes. Hold on for that one. Yeah. <laughs> Carl, you have not weighed in on Hoi and Sen as a stakeholder. What do you think? Because I'm listening to all the knowledge that's being dropped. You know, I agree. I agree with that stuff, right? Like, I definitely agree he's a stakeholder. He's invested. I agree 100% was Zaheen's definition of that. The only thing I'm thinking of is just, you know, we did give the spoiler alert that he doesn't make it, right? So I guess what's interested to me for him as a stakeholder. Should, should we have said spoiler alert a second time just in case someone skipped ahead 15 seconds? Well, you know, some Don't people. You know, we should put a siren. <laughs> we should. We we should spoiler alert we should do that just because you know attention spans are so short they're like why didn't you tell me it's like well i told you 30 seconds ago yeah. a spoiler what did you alert. tell me 30 seconds ago oh spoiler alert you didn't get the first message what we, 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 we <laughs> there it is spoiler alert siren now you know <laughs> but it's just like we're talking right we'll talk about this more but i am interested in him as a stakeholder his development right because we know stakeholders their position within the universe can change at any moment Hundred percent. Right? Like stakeholders are not static, right? They're dynamic. And so yeah. what I'm interested in Hoi and say as a stakeholder is, oh yeah, he's like, yo, I'm gonna get out. This dude, he got a suit, I'm out. And at some point when he did the math, he's like, shoot, I'm not gonna make it. Thank you for keeping that family friendly. Exactly. Hey, you Appreciate know what? That. Hey, the kids are our future, right? <laughs> well, I, I believe the children are our future. And if you teach them well and let them lead the way. You see, there it is. You know, maybe we should hold hands and sing We Are the World too. Or is that? I prefer Do They Know It's Christmas as the. Do you want to hold hands? Let's, yeah, let's, yeah. <laughs> let's link together. Let's link together. Kumbaya. Kumbaya. Exactly, right? But. We are we are multi-denominational. This is what we're doing oh, here. Yeah. We're hitting everybody. But I am interested in his development as a stakeholder because at some point, yeah, he must have figured out he's not going to make it. So depending where in the process they were, it's like what motivates you as a stakeholder to still be invested? I'm what? so glad you brought that up because that was literally my exact question. It's so true. Again, I haven't. No familiarity <laughs> with any of everyone knows. But Tony you can Stark. still enjoy the conversation. Well, of course, that's important. Well, so what my question is, I don't know what Ho Yin Sen is like, what his personality is like. Is he someone who would be vindictive because he realizes mm, I'm not going to make it and try and sabotage, or does he try and preserve legacy? You know, what's the sitch? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and this is where there's a bonus episode springing up in my mind where we get into the whole magical Negro concept of the Stephen King books. Yep, yep, yep. Because there's very much that, and this predates Stephen King, mm -hmm. as far as I know. Yep. I don't think he started writing until the, the late 60s, early 70s. Mm -hmm. But there's definitely a magical Asian, yeah. I guess, aspect uh, to Ho Yin Sen in that yes. he's there strictly as a plot device. Mm -hmm. You know, So he's there to be the helpful assistant to help the white man escape. And for those of you who have not actually looked at, and I, you know, not necessarily making a plug for Marvel, although Marvel, we're, we're listening. <laughs> um, if you have the opportunity to get the digital version, because I'm sure that there aren't that many paper versions out there, and most people probably couldn't afford them at this point anyway. $10,000. <laughs> Save up, guys. The digital version is only like $1.99, well within most people's budgets. But anyway, 
strongly advise going back to that original issue because the obnoxiously, and you know, let's acknowledge 1963 is a different time, but still the obnoxiously racist coloring of Wang Chu and Ho Yin Sen. I would say <laughs> they're it's literally not just the, yellow. Yeah, I would say it's not just the coloring, but it's also the features yes. are like just drastically caricaturized, yes, which is Manchu. just, yes. it's, you know, it's, it's not great. No, no, 100%. Yeah. It's, it's what the kids today would call problematic. Yeah. Anyway, so Ho Yin Sen, stakeholder. Before we wrap up this episode, I think we have another important stakeholder. Not from the original comic book, because mm -hmm. I would say in the original book, it's Tony and Ho Yin Sen, yep. even though Wang Chu considers himself a stakeholder, because he's the one that says, here, build this weapon yep. using mm -hmm. these parts that I have lying around. I will say, uh, sorry to interrupt. Oh, uh, you don't need to apologize. Never. Then you know what? I'm not sorry. Sally forth. <laughs> <laughs> so if someone, and I just want to get your opinion on this, if someone thinks of themselves as a stakeholder... But, you know, if I'm building something, and I don't really care what they think. Are they actually a stakeholder? To what extent do we have to appease them in order to sort of continue forward? Because so, I, with my, again, minimal understanding of the situation here, you know, my understanding is there is a bit of appeasement that does have to happen. So I, even though Tony may not actually be, you know, making this for him, there is a bit of stakeholder ishness there i would say well that is that word again that i brought up earlier which is foreshadowing because we're going to talk about that <laughs> yes. in much greater detail in episodes three and four but specifically to the question of is wang chu actually a stakeholder aside from his perception as such because you know in the project world he, we consider him the project sponsor yep mm -hmm, so he's mm -hmm. the one that's saying here's here's what i want go mm -hmm. do it yep i would say for me, he is not a stakeholder purely within the narrow context of the actual development that happens. Mm. So in other words, interesting. if you have a project sponsor who says, go do something, and everyone, not to say that this is what happens to Wanju, powerful warlord, not someone to be mocked or had laughter at his expense behind his back, but if in a, you know, a fictional, and a, you know, a, a more fictional than comic books. Well, I'm making a face. Comic um, books are famously, famously half real, so. <laughs> I like the half real part. <laughs> and the half that's real and half that isn't, that's up to you to decide. That's true. We, we, that's your we own report. journey. <laughs> so if you had a project sponsor who said, go off and do this, but then that project sponsor leaves the company and you wind up going off and doing something different. I'd say they had ceased to be a stakeholder once the original mm -hmm. plan or vision is taken out of the picture. Whether whether through change of you know business environment or person leaving the company, whatever it might be. Yeah, that makes sense. Carl, weigh in here, man. This is important. Yeah, because I disagree with you on that part. Just because That's our first Ooh. disagreement, guys. Ouch. Shots fired. It's, it's okay. I'm here for mediation if required. Inside, I'm using my inside voice. <laughs> Remember, we were just holding hands, so 
calm down. L- literally right? singing Kumbaya. Did yeah. I just rupture the Triforce? Is that what I did? You really might have. You it know, remains to be seen. I think I think as part of our Stay healing. Stay tuned for episode seven to see if we make it through the season. You know what? I think as part of our healing process, we should just hold hands again and watch Charmed. And then we'll just like watch ourselves. Wow, Charmed. Yeah, did you hear that? The, the entire universe of television shows that you could have chosen. Hey, I'm just talking about three women, three sisters, three hands. That's us. Healing process. That's us, by the way. That's We're us. the three women, three sisters. We're the Charmed ones, apparently. And right. I'm just having, having never watched Charmed, I'm not even going to venture who, which one of the three I am. We'll figure it out. But ba- based on the way that their their lives have turned out, I'm going to hope that I'm the Alyssa Milano. Yeah, you, that would be the wise choice. That would be the wise choice. And so, like, all kidding and jokes aside, though, I disagree about Wong Chu not being a stakeholder, and I'm going with Zaheen with the question of appeasement, just because at the end of the day, within that, like, tales of suspense, he's the warlord, Right. So at any point, this dude, he has the, like, as the project sponsor, and I completely agree with that, like, comparison, he has the ultimate authority to kill the project. And in this case, this would be being like, yo, Tony, we're going to take a walk. And by walk, I kill mean the permanent. Pro- kill the project and the developer. Bingo, right? That's it. Two I'm, birds, I'm one stone. Like, permanently, like, my guy, this magical, like, magnet in your chest is out. <laughs> I am having. Put you in an MRI machine. Yeah, we're gonna take you. You're gonna take a permanent dirt nap, my guy. <laughs> I'm, I'm having a multiversal moment of Wang Chu going, Nah, son. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. The Vietnamese lord lord saying, Nah, son. Is it? <laughs> this is over. So, like, I think in my mind, I disagree with you because I'm going with Zaheen with the question of appeasement. Okay. Where he's not building this for Wang Chu, right? It's for him and Ho Yin Say. But Tony knows in the back of his mind. This dude's going to be asking questions at some point. So, and that that's another beautiful tease for a later episode because we're going to talk about the moment in the movie when Raza, mm-hmm. who is the Wong Chu of his date and time, so to speak, actually goes into the cave mid development and sees the blueprints. Yep. For the Iron Man armor. Dun, dun, dun. Yep. And, and what a moment. Yep. Knock, knock, knock. Where's my stuff, right? Like, that's it. All right. Last stakeholder, and this one I think is also open to interpretation, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I wanted to include him because I'm a Jeff Bridges fan. You know, I go back to, you know, early 80s Starman. I never saw Starman. I don't know that one. You know, even against all odds, which was a little over my head as a Mm 13-year-old because I was like, he was a professional football player but he's involved with the owner's wife okay like, what is he it, it was it was weird to me it was very difficult to put yeah. together um but obadiah obadiah yes. stain i agree with that and i included him in the discussion of stakeholders because mm. that shaved head beard look that was clean magical that was a clean look for him. that was a clean look i mean if i could look so majestic yeah that's true that look, you might as well tattoo silverback on your forehead, <laughs> right? Well, the magic of that look is that you don't need to. See? It's implied. Right? It would detract from it, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Too obvious to, to get the, the would, silverback tattoo on your forehead? Be. It would be. It would be. Would it be more subtle if it was like, you know, in collegiate lettering on both arms, silverback? Either that or like given the fire suits that he wore and the cufflinks, like you just put silver on one cufflink and back on the other. Just so. It's, 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 the, it's the details. It's the little things. Carly, you disagreed with me a moment ago, but I dig your style, dude. Hey, thank you, my guy. (laughs) And you know what? Mediation, not needed. They're still friends. We're trending upwards. We're trending (laughs) upwards. (laughs) And that's, I told you she would live up to expectations without doing anything 
she did something. There it is. You're welcome. So, <laughs> Obadiah, aside from being a silverback, aside from being a you know a captain of industry, I call him a stakeholder because he is looking to inherit the technology after Tony's developed it. And that I goes back that. to our discussion earlier about the people who become stakeholders you don't really know about. And if he wasn't ever mentioned in the movie and wasn't the main you know, behind the scenes bad guy that was actually supplying the weapons to Raza and the mm -hmm. Ten Rings and didn't eventually become the Ironmonger mm -hmm. that Tony eventually defeated at the end of the movie, Oops, spoiler alert. Wee woo, wee woo. <laughs> there it is. Spoiler alert. <laughs> wee woo, wee woo. <laughs> he's inheriting the technology and he's, in other words, in some way, Tony's got to know, if I get out of here with this miniaturized arc reactor that I've just created, while, you know, wink, wink, nod, Raza, I'm working on a Jericho missile for you. Mm -hmm. Psych. Yeah. Or, as the kids today would say, nah, son. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, he's got to know that he gets home, he's still Tony Stark of Stark Enterprises, which is also sort of heavily involved with Obadiah Stane, mm -hmm. who helped build Stark Industries with Howard Stark. So he's got to know that Obadiah is going to want to get his hands on this because this mm -hmm. is this is a profit center. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes, I used a business term, which I don't think I would ever use in my real life in any other capacity, but let's roll with it. Yeah. Um, but then question for you, because remind me again, like, remind me again in the movie. And then Zaheen, had you ever seen the first Iron Man movie? The answer is no. Okay. I feel like Zaheen's okay. lived it to some extent. It's okay, Zaheen. Uh, yeah, I'm actually, <laughs> I'm actually my own life's Tony Stark in, in the gotcha. way. That's, that, yeah, that's so how you, I've lived it. So you have your own arc reactor. That's cool. I, you know, I didn't really want to socialize that because, okay, okay. so, you know. It's your, a little dangerous. Your secret's it, safe with us. It's, it's, you know, us and all the listeners. Yes. <laughs> We'll come back to the concept of the MVP, but I think Zaheen's is still in the MVP stage, so it's not for broad disbursement yet. Gotcha. So then with Obadiah Stane, remind me again, was he also on the board of Stark Enterprises or was he yes. just in the senior leadership, like the C-suite essentially? Yeah, he was on the board and he becomes the Bingo. acting CEO in, yep. in lieu of Tony when everyone thinks Tony's yep. dead. I remember that part, but I forgot about the board inclusion. Okay, got you. Okay, Actually, I, I have a follow-up to that. Are they... My ignorance is showing here. Are they seen yeah, no, as your, your enthusiasm for the subject my enthusiasm, that you have not previously explored? Exactly. Mm -hmm. My enthusiasm yeah. to learn about something that I don't know about. Are they seen as enemies? So, well, that's the first question. Are they seen rivals. as enemies? Rivals, I guess, is the question. Okay. So then maybe that is how we consider Obadiah a stakeholder in that Tony wants to build something that Obadiah won't want. So he could be like, this is mine. You don't need this. So Stay I'm interested. Away. That's a great question. I'm interested in your take because I have an answer to to that, but I'm interested mm -hmm. in uh, what you think. We care. The, we anyone care watching about what on you video can see I'm blushing. <laughs> um, okay, so the, I think starting from the idea of are they rivals? Not initially, mm. or at least not as it's superficially presented in the movie. Mm -hmm. okay. But the undercurrent of the movie that becomes more and more apparent is yes, Obadiah sees Tony and his recklessness, his lack of dependability as a threat to Stark Industries, which therefore is a threat to his professional standing, his stake in the company, his legacy, et cetera. So I don't think Tony sees Obadiah as a rival. I think he sees Obadiah as substitute Howard 
so parental figure. But Obadiah definitely sees Tony as a rival. So this is like one of those like madmen, like, oh, I hate you. Oh, I don't even think about you type of situations or no. Never watched Mad Men. So no. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go with the premise of your question, if that's okay. Not exactly. It's more like Tony doesn't, Tony can't conceive of Obadiah as a bad guy because he's Howard's partner. So he's known Obadiah Tony's okay. entire life. And he's, again, he's the substitute for Howard now that Howard's passed. So okay. he's a father figure in a lot of ways to Tony. Oh, okay, okay. Whereas huh. Obadiah, again, sees Tony as a you know wild card potential threat to the entirety of Stark Industries because he's so crazy and follows his own muse. Mm. But certainly by the end of the film, or as we get closer to the end of the film, and Obadiah's sort of behind-the-scenes machinations of selling arms to Raza, putting Tony in harm's way to get him out of the picture, mm -hmm. as that becomes more revealed, and then Tony figures everything out. Well, really, Obadiah sort of reveals it to him. Yep. <laughs> like, oh, by the way, I'm the one that set all this in motion, and I'm mm -hmm. killing you in the process, so, exactly. you know, see ya. Then Tony sees, oh, God, this guy that I trusted, who I believed in, who I saw as a father figure, is actually undercutting me, literally wants to kill me, yep. and therefore I have to defeat him. Mm -hmm. Okay. So to go back to the idea, that concept of the stakeholder that you presented in that context, I don't think Tony would see Obadiah as someone that he wants to keep the technology from. Okay, I see. Because, at least in the movie, again, the arc reactor technology is something that exists within Stark Industries already. Tony's technological leap that he makes, to quote Obadiah from the movie, in a cave yeah. with scraps. Yeah. <laughs> and the guy's like, well, I'm not Tony Stark. And that's also Peter Billingsley from Christmas Story. Yes, that Peter Billingsley, the, see the... And he also ne was nephew of Barbara Billingsley from Leave It to Beaver, or is he the grandson? I don't know that relationship, but I didn't put together that it was Peter Billingsley. And then also Sidetrack, I believe he was also part of Jake Gyllenhaal's Simon Beck exactly. crew. Exactly. That's how they were Spider Man, boom, boom, boom. Yep. Right? That was not the official title, but hey, cool. Spoiler. Wee, wee, wee. And so he's, <laughs> like, <laughs> so he's <laughs> like, what is happening right now? <laughs> so, so like, okay, movie night is going to suck. Yeah, she's like, who are these people? <laughs> Because now we're revealing all the secrets of the movie, so she's going to watch them. Like, okay, I already know what's going to happen. Why exactly. am I doing this? Exactly. Also, I heard Jake Gyllenhaal, and listen, we're a Swifty podcast. We do not support Jake Gyllenhaal here. <laughs> I'm putting my foot down, so, well, my fist down. So something I don't know what that means, but I believe it's important. It's okay. We'll, we'll talk. Okay. We'll talk. Okay. <laughs> Let's cast your mind back to one of the most famous Kanye West moments, which was. Taylor, one, Taylor, when... I'm going to let you finish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When she's saying a Swifty podcast, we're referring to Taylor Swift. Ah, okay. And her okay. relationship with Jake Gyllenhaal, who's okay. con not considerably older, but at that time I think would have been a little it, not age appropriate well, for her. I think it was exactly, I think it was 11 years age gap. Yeah. And Taylor mm. was 20. Tur 20 turning 21 because he didn't show up to her 21st birthday because he's terrible. <clears throat> Okay, so, but there's, anyway. so, there's, so there's this, this is a whole other podcast series that we so can So, what this means is off. so there are levels to this. There are levels to okay, this. Oh, yes, levels. absolutely. Okay, is this bonus content? Our discussion is Swifty? Well, we're. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you guys about Taylor Swift, but you have to subscribe. 
<laughs> By the way, I love the idea of Zaheen as Howard Stern. Let me tell you something. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so your question was great and everything mm -hmm. that Sean told you about Obadiah, yes, I completely agree with it. I'd say the only thing where Sean and I like slightly diverge is that- um, Like two woods in the night. Basically, exactly. There are two paths in the woods. Sorry. Two roads. Oh, the Robert, two Robert roads Frost. in a yellow wood. Yes. Is that what you're? The Robert Frost. Yeah. Two, two roads diverge in a yellow wood. wood. Yeah. I'm so glad that I invited literate people to and do it's this like, podcast. I took with the me. one less traveled, and that yeah. has made all oh. the difference. Mm -hmm, yes. mm -hmm. yeah, I had to memorize that poem in the seventh grade, and I did a very bad job of it. <laughs> I, well, clearly not, because hey, you still remember it. Look well, at I got you the now. first line. That's all I have. That's all. I have. I'm a fraud. I'm a fraud. <laughs> Don't tell people. Just kidding. I know all of it. Don't let them know. Don't, don't ask me, but I know it. <laughs> Trust me. I completely agreed with most of what Sean said about, like, yes, Tony, in no, there was no part of his mind that viewed him as a rival. Obadiah definitely saw him as a threat, you know, due to his recklessness. And then the only thing that I would differ with that is that I did feel at least the way that I viewed the relationship, the way the movie portrayed it. I definitely did feel like, to some extent, Obadiah felt like Tony was dangerous for two reasons. Not only the recklessness, right? But, like, that leap he made with the arc reactor. There were parts in the movie where he's like, dude, let me have my people take specs on this thing. And he's like, nah, goodbye. And so, in my mm. opinion, I thought there was a part of Obadiah that's like, yo, not only is this dude, like, just reckless and he's dangerous, but, like, he did something extraordinary and he's not even letting me, who took care of things while he was gone, like have people look at it so he feels shut out so yes. i thought there was a second part of that but yeah so that was the only that's like the only slight diversions you know what i mean but like everything that sean said about in tony's mind before the big reveal there was no blip in his world where he thought they were rivals 100 percent co-signed that 100 cool. and this is the beauty of our little triumvirate here is we can disagree but then we can agree and disagree and agree and agree to disagree it's all friendly, and that's what we want to bring everyone in to do, is to join the conversation. Everyone's opinions will be respected, unless, of course, you're you know, doing terrible things to children or you know, invading European countries, et cetera, mm -hmm. or countries anywhere. Mm -hmm. you know, they don't have to just be European. But yeah, we want to invite everyone, whether you agree with us or disagree, you're part of the conversation. You are part of, wait for it. The Man the Fictioners Club. Club. <laughs> so that's episode one where we get an introduction to stakeholders, who they are, why they are, how they are. I guess, yeah, that's the stakeholder. So episode two, and we've teased it a little bit, but in episode two, we're going to get into the actual context of the creation of the technology, the development. So we know who's doing what, we know why they're doing it. But let's get into, in episode two, how they set about that project what spurs them on what's the context so having arrived here we're gonna say see you in episode two same bat time same, same bat, bat channel. channel nope i missed that one doesn't matter we'll do it they'll, again in episode there, two. there'll be more episodes <laughs> i'll get it next time i'm nope. sorry everyone i'm sorry to, i'm sorry to let you down there'll be more bat channels okay I, okay zahine okay. has never let me down club members you'll learn that she will not let you down all right, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you want more behind-the-scenes content, you can subscribe to our Patreon. And if you want some updates, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Thanks to Gotham Podcast Studios. Special thanks to Raul. And again, I'm Zaheen. I'm Carl. And I'm Sean. We are the, the Manufacturers Club. Club.